Welcome everyone. My name is Tom Sherwood. This is my wife Tamara. This is Disciple Making Movements, Tools and Strategies, Strategies for Church Revitalization and Multiplication. A um, little bit about us. About uh, four years ago, uh, we were lay people. We had been a part of uh, three different church plans. We were working on our fourth. That's been a passion of our families. Oh. Oh, right. We're not on. Can you hear a little bit? All right. Very good. Awesome. Did we get that opening part recorded? Yeah, you should be recording. All right. Very good. I was given very specific instructions. So uh, about uh, four years ago, we were at a celebration service in Cincinnati, and we heard about Ohio for Jesus, Tanzania, and that just kind of inspired us to begin praying and leaning into, Lord, are you calling us to be a part of this? Uh, and so we began to, to plan for and answer the call to plant a church. So I went back to school, got my credentials, left my day job, which was as a professional musician with the Cincinnati Symphony. That's very different, but that's all right. Anyway, um, but what attracted us as we began to think about what it would look like, we had done traditional church plants. So when we looked back at our life and said, where have we seen the most fruit? It was people gathered in our living rooms and coffee shops. Our small groups were often not just church people. There would be a few, but largely neighbors, co-workers, people we met in coffee shops. I think one time it was someone, uh, my wife, a, a, a checker at a grocery store that she invited. And we just said, you know, that's pretty much where we've seen the kingdom of God grow and the fruit in our life. And so we began to pray through that. What, what would that look like? And each time I would think we're going to plant a traditional church, the Lord would say, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Do what you've been doing and teach others to do what you've been doing. And so right now we're part of People's Church House to House. It's a church plant that's about a year and a half old. Currently have four micro churches. We basically practice in our own neighborhood. We also train, teach, send, continue to support with rhythms other people who are doing this. We're about to lean into the dinner church as well in that process, and so very excited about that. Welcome. Come on in. Yeah. No, you're good. You're good. You're absolutely good. So that's our story. So we don't train people to plant microchurches. We train people to make disciples. Whether you're doing a microchurch, whether you're doing a traditional church, whether it's some hybrid, our calling, our mission statement, Jesus gave it to us, was to go make disciples of all peoples. A church begins to emerge, and that's when you begin to want to give it form and support discipleship, but especially support multiplication. And each model has its own challenges and strengths. So we're not one way or the other. So if you're here, you're a traditional church pastor. The reason Al Yano asked me to do this is we believe these strategies can help revitalize and bring health to traditional churches that have been struggling. I have quite a few pastors in Cincinnati. Many of them are not a part of the AG 
who just said, I've heard of what you guys are doing, and uh, I think that might actually help our church. And so, do you need me? Your mic one more time. That's fine. Sorry, we're, not, we're not pushing up enough. That's all right. You're good. It's what it is, right? It's all right. I, I, I don't want to know you that well, but it's okay. <laughs> Chris, you seem like a nice guy, but, ah, oh, there we are. All right. So a few disclaimers. This is woefully inadequate to cover this. <laughs> How's that? You have confidence. Because this is something we do in about 12 weeks, and it's not all teaching. It's practice, right? And so we teach a concept. Go do it. Go do the stuff. Do the Jesus stuff. Come back. How'd that go? Kind of sounds like sending you the 72, doesn't it? How did it go? All right, well, let's problem solve. Now, here's another principle. Go practice it. Let's come back together the next week. How did it go? And so it's apprenticeship. It's, it's really meant to be caught more than it's taught. And I, so that's my disclaimer. Do I have any other? Yeah, so our, our patterns are teach, practice, debrief, coach, tell stories. And that's how this should be learned. Nevertheless, I hope it gives you enough of an inter, introduction that you want to learn more about it. And I'll tell you about some resources where you can do that. And we're always, we enjoy sharing this stuff. So let's just pray. Father, each person here represents probably anywhere from 10 to 40 people when you include close friends, family, acquaintances. And there are even people you've called us to, to reach with your gospel who are very different than we are. That's how the audacious goals of Ohio for Jesus, really of your kingdom, happen, is releasing everyday people to make disciples out there. Help us create inviting spaces where your kingdom can come in neighborhoods, workplaces, at the local coffee shop, in the nonprofits, in community centers. Do that in our day, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so begin the blessed rhythms. Begin with extraordinary prayer and fasting. Every great move, probably don't need to say this, every great move of God has begun when people got together and prayed from, from the Hebrides revival onward. Uh, Acts 1, for example, they, they waited in an upper room. The Holy Spirit came. Uh, if we just did this first rhythm, like 10% of our churches did this, we'd probably see revival, and I'll explain why that is, but uh, especially if you do some of the other steps and you're intentional about it. Um, so don't try to build until you've prayed. That's just really the, the point of this one. How do we pray? Let's talk about that, or really who do you pray for? We use a relational inventory tool. It's based on Acts 1.8. Uh, Go on all the earth, or you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And so while that's not really prescriptive, we found it's a really good tool to say, who are your closest friends and family? Just write them all down, especially those who appear to be far from God or um, are in need of the kingdom of God coming in their life. Uh, and then Judea, your acquaintances. These are your neighbors, your literal neighbors, your co-workers, your classmates, your Samaria. And this is an important one in the kingdom is people who aren't like you. Different ethnicity, different socioeconomic background. That's the kingdom, right? When the church looks in all of its splendor 
It represents all peoples. And I also know this, that we are to be a different people. And the way it usually works is I hang out with people I'm most comfortable with, right? And it's easy to have a conversation with. And the, our king calls us to be like him. It says he had to go through Samaria, right? He was compelled to go through Samaria. And so the great banquet, the second invitation list, right? One of the things we're learning is we've invited a whole lot of our friends that are in churches to be a part of what we're doing. We're so excited. and They want to hear about it. And they say, yeah, that's really good for you. That's awesome. <laughs> go do that. But we found when we go out to the highways and byways and, and look for the poor, the downcast, the, the outcast, uh, the widows, the orphans, the addicted, right, those in recovery, we've seen incredible fruit. And we've begun to grow as a result when we moved on to the second invitation. First invitation list is important. Always, they need Jesus too, but just a thought there. Once we have that inventory, how do you pray? Again, this comes from disciple-making movements, the Bless Five concept. So you take that list of people, and it doesn't have to be five. We found that five works pretty well to begin with. And, and you just ask God, who, who am I to pray for? Just speak to me. Where are you already at work? Where are you moving? I would encourage you to find at least one person from every category or every area of your life, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea. And then practice declaration, authoritative prayer. Jesus gave us authority, all authority. He's given it to us. And so these are things that we don't, you can pray for that God gives them this, but realize you have authority. As you walk through a neighborhood, as you walk through your place of work, or you're just praying at night, declare, I bless my neighbor. In the name of Jesus, I bless Tim with health, protection, strength. I bless his career, his labor, uh, his finances. I bless his mental health, his emotions with joy, peace, hope, and love. I speak blessing over his relationships, his marriage, his relationships with his kids. I speak God's kingdom come in his life, right? Five days a week, five minutes a day for that list, right? One thing really quick, though, very important, uh, you can revise the list. As time goes by, you know, there, there's a time to kind of put somebody on there. I wouldn't say stop praying for somebody, but... You can only minister to so many. I think that's the other thing is this is working in the small, right? Um, I can already feel the tension of everything I want to share. <laughs> we are blessed to be a blessing is the point, right? In my gospel, we'll get there in a little bit. I was a salesman, a propagandist, a lawyer, a judge, a debater. Now I'm there to bless. That has shifted my theology, my missiology, really even my Christiology, right? All right. Listening. Next thing on the list. Something that I am still learning to do well. This first phrase, pray for a supernatural curiosity about people. This can't be fabricated. It can't be a formula. Uh, they aren't a thing. They are a live person. I think partly why we're passionate about this one is that um, 
a lot of Christians, Western culture, we tend to hang around our own tribe. Yeah. We really don't know much about like normal lives or normal people. And so very passionate that God would birth this. You know, when I'm sitting across from a person and I'm more thinking about what I'm going to say rather than what they're saying, that might be an indicator that they're a project and not a person that I really want to learn and love. Really, I want to become their friend. And my, my guess is a lot of people out there need our friendship. So that's the place it comes from. Some great prompts there. I'm going to resist going through all these, but they're there for you for resource because I really want to get all the way to the end and have time for questions. Eat. <laughs> Follow Jesus' example. Eating should be easy for us. We're already doing it. You can kind of average out the meals and think, you know, this isn't something I'm adding to my life. About the only thing you're adding are extra servings and an extra chair at the table. This we can do, right? And this is a shift for us. Our house was our castle for years. And we've repented of that and said, we, we need to open up our house. Our front door needs to have a, a pretty easy opening to it. Our backdoor patio, all of that is good. You know, Jesus, I am convinced that when the disciples got up in the morning and said to one another, so what are we doing today? They said, what do you think we're doing? We're going to heal, watch Jesus heal people by day, cast out demons, and then at night we're probably going to eat with all the wrong people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you look at that list of people, or when you look at your neighbors, invite people that you wouldn't ordinarily there are even parables. There are even instruction about Jesus, right? Saying, don't, don't just invite people who can give you something back. Invite the poor. Invite people who can't really return the favor. I'm going to keep... Boy, there's so much. Okay, here we go. We're going to keep going. Uh, no special tool. I would say keep it simple. I think that's one of the things we're learning. Is if you, In fact, if you don't really like to cook or can't cook or whatever... Takeout is a good thing. They'll be honored that you ordered the best ribs in town that, for them. Serve practical ways. Have a discussion with, with a group of friends, maybe, with your family. What are some ways we can serve our neighbors? Uh, this is an important one. But I think, again, we feel like we're retraining hospitality. We're, we're retraining how to have conversations with people who really do not believe in your worldview at all, or, or it's very different. And we, we've just lost our ability. Like, again, it's that divine curiosity. I think God is actually, a, it, this is going to sound, he's all-knowing, I get that. But there's something about his nature that is curious. We can see it in his creation. Like, it's so massively diverse in every detail. Not sure if curious is kind of, I want to know, because he knows it all, but. Still, it's an amazing quality to him, and we need to have that. And so I always say, don't be weird, don't scare people. You probably don't want to invite them on your family vacation the day you met them, uh, right? Do it in steps. We say go from the, the uh, front yard to the coffee shop, to the back patio, to the living room, to the dining room, to the kitchen, right? There, there are levels there that are just very natural, and, and you want to pay attention to the flow. Um, 
few of the things that uh, we've done, you can see there on the list, and they're kind of progressive. I would say learning to bring a, a community or a neighborhood together. This is so powerful if you're doing neighborhood uh, focus ministry. Um, is you, you gather people around a cause. Let's say you, and especially looking for that person of peace. They have favor. They may not even be a believer. In many cases, they're not. But they know how to rally everyone together. Everyone knows them. They can tell you everything that's happening in the neighborhood. And you identify them and say, you know, do you know any needs in the neighborhood? Yeah, you know, there's this elderly couple. Their house is, they're, they're having a tough time keeping up with it. Hey, do you think we could gather some neighbors to get together and mow their yard and do landscaping and paint their house? Just, you know, would they be okay with that? And all of a sudden, you're, you're one, you're getting to know the whole neighborhood. And... If you have a theology for this, I do. You're bringing the kingdom of God there, even when you're partnering with people who are far from God. Woman at the well. <laughs> okay? Far from God, she's a, an amazing missionary. The demoniac who wants to follow Jesus. And he says, no, go, go tell those towns. I mean, you know, I can imagine meeting with Jesus as bored about you did what? You sent someone? You didn't, you didn't train them before you sent them? You just told them to go tell what God's done for you? Sorry, I digress. <laughs> 12 weeks, 12 weeks, all right. All right. And then I think one of the biggest disciple-making tools of DMMs is something called the Discovery Bible. Has anyone heard Discovery Bible? Does that look sound familiar? This is going to be fun. I think this is a tool when I first heard it, and I'm a teacher. I like to teach, and I, in fact, my model for Preaching was expository, going book by book, verse by verse. I think it's awesome. I, I, I love that. It keeps you balanced, all of that, right? And so when the Discovery Bible came along, I was thinking, I don't think that's discipleship. But hang in there with me, and I think you'll see some things here and some potential that ends up being better discipleship than I ever knew before. All right. You know what? I, I forgot the video. I'll do that at the end. Thank you. That's all right. You were glued to my words. Sorry, folks. Uh, like I said, 12 weeks. It's, it's hard to remember what to leave out and what not to. So story stands for share your story. What has God done in your life, right? These are natural conversations. heard one a while back about just a, a dramatic healing of a pastor's wife. Um, and it was a story that they pretty much told everywhere, and people wanted to hear it. They were fascinated as to, in this day that miracles could happen. So you're sharing, how's God impacted my life? What has he delivered me from? Where was I broken? Where did the kingdom come? That's number one. That's what it is to be a witness, right? A witness is you're, you're not telling something somebody else saw. You're, you're telling what you saw. That was very liberating for me, especially the lawyer and maybe the propagandist in me. <laughs> when I used to think of the gospel a little bit differently. Um, that's powerful. So being a witness to what God has done in your life, that's all you can testify to. And then finally, the, or not finally, the second piece is the God story. This is a tool that we use. It would be similar to, if you're familiar with Mike Breen's Building a Discipleship Culture, a lot of the 3DM stuff, uh, Kansas City Underground, they have a diamond tool as well. Um, 
And the reason for this is there are a lot of Gospels out there. And we want anyone who's been coming to any of our microchurch expressions or our dinner church expression, we want them to know the full story of God. So for me, my gospel began down here. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I won't say the denomination that I grew up in, but that was, that was, it was the Roman road, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus came so that I'd go to the good place and not the bad place when I died. All of that is true, right? But it's incomplete. So a lot of people's gospels, or God is, my gospel is God protects me. He doesn't let bad things happen to me. Man, when that runs off the script, there's disillusionment and there's disappointment with God. It's not the gospel. So we train around this. Again, we, we're, one of our microchurches meets in a recovery or so, a sober living home. And everyone in there, except maybe one, is new, complete to the Bible and everything, but they can draw this out and they can explain it in about five minutes. So at the be- it begins within the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what does he say about it? It's good. <laughs> good news. By the way, gospel, good news, right? It should be good news. I'm not sure my gospel in its incomplete form was always the best news. You're a sinner. That's where I started. It's true. But there's a reason you're a sinner, and that's because, well, let me start. Let me keep going. Twelve, twelve weeks, folks. I'm so sorry. This is very hard. We were in right relationships with God. It's all about relationships. We were, you know, the communication back and forth was perfect. It was pure. There was no shame between one another. We had right relationship. It says Adam and Eve were naked, and they were not ashamed. And I don't think it was just meaning physically, right? And self, that we weren't divided, right? This is good news, right? That's how he created it. He looked at man and said, this is good news. And then even our, their purpose, their meaning was clear. There was no conflict about, what am I supposed to do with my life? You know, he gave us a garden. Tend to the garden. And then we led an insurrection. We decided, and, and this is key to explain, is that all brokenness came from doubting whether God could be trusted. Did God really say, right? You, you guys know this, right? This is not new. But to hear it all in one story, did God really say? Can he be trusted? I don't think so. I think you're going to have to hedge your bets. This is where we're going to worship Baal and God came from. It wasn't because they, they were trying to decide. It's because, well, i got a harvest coming up. And there was an enemy. And they need to know that, that there's an enemy. He's working against you. So it broke our relationship with God. That was sever- severed. We, be- we started hiding. Uh, broke our relationship with others. You see it from the beginning. Adam blaming Eve, or really blaming God for the woman you gave me, right? And then we had a divided self. We're not at peace inside. And we had no sense as to our purpose, right? That was broken. So when somebody says, I don't know, yeah, the, bi- the biggest problem I have with God is suffering in the world. I can say, you know, it wasn't really God's intent. In fact, all that stuff happened because we rebelled. We, we, we had an insurrection. We decided we'll do a takeover. And God re- gave us the free will so we could do that. Ah, but Jesus, right? He comes. He makes a way to reconcile all the right, right relationship with God, right relationship with others. 
with ourselves to reconnect it, peace, internal peace, and with our purpose and our work, which we'll get to. And then he invites us to be a part of the restoration of all things. So that horrific thing that happened to you when you were a child, God hates that. It was never his intent. In fact, he even sent his son Jesus. And let me tell you what the kind of price he paid for that. Because he wants to restore you, your relationships, yourself, right? And oh, by the way, he's going to give you the Holy Spirit. So you can talk to him, you can communicate with him. His mind becomes your mind. So story is very important. What is the God story? And what is the complete story, right? Uh, so when something bad happens, you have a frame of reference. When it's not going according to your script, I can say, well, you know, we're not there yet. The now and not yet. All kinds of, we disciple around this, we coach around it, we train, we pray around it. What's broken in your life right now? What still needs to be reconciled? What are some relationships that are broken? We can, you can disciple around the whole story. And we've not read Genesis to Revelation yet. And yet most people in our groups, and we're in a poor neighborhood, struggling neighborhood, this is not a problem. In fact, this is a blessing. They're like, oh, I never knew that. You mean the Bible says that? Yeah, the Bible says that. Speaking of, let's engage with the Bible. That's the next step. And the, the invite goes something like this. Hey, you know, I've been getting to know you a while. I've been fasting and praying. Well, you don't tell them that. <laughs> you know you have been. You've been fasting and praying for them. Maybe you do. You've been hospitable. They've been in your back patio. They've been in your home. You've had fun together. You've eaten together. You've served together or served them. It becomes a very natural next step to say, hey, we have a group of people that gathers in our room in our house, in our, and, and we just like to explore the teachings of Jesus. We know that uh, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about the church, a lot of church hurt, churchianity, maybe you're not into that sort of thing, but what we would suggest is that we'd love for you to come and, and investigate and read for yourself what Jesus said and did. And by the way, I won't be teaching at you. We'll be discussing, we'll be asking some basic questions about it, so you can, you can engage with the text yourself and engage with the stories yourself. We'd love to have you. We have all types, right? To the easy invitation, because they're probably already curious because of the relationship and friendship that you've built. This is a major tool. The reason we like it, this is important, it's replicable. It's easily multiplied. Uh, we, we, when we first started the microchurch thing, I think we were thinking, well, I'll teach a sermon and then I'll watch it on a video and <laughs> they'll have discussion about it. That's, that's, that's probably fine. But when we found this tool and it was late in our team meetings, they were all liberated. They're like, okay, I think we can do this now. <laughs> you mean I don't have to teach or, or have you on our screen? That's creepy. Uh, can we, can we, we could do this. So it's replicable, it's multiplying. It's discovery-based. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting, right? Think about that. We're teaching people to be able to hear Jesus' voice and obey what He said. That might be a good definition of a disciple of Jesus. I hear what He said. I go and do it, right? Uh, in my old model, knowledge would get way ahead of obedience. 
There's a huge gap, right, between knowledge and obedience. So anyone, no matter how knowledgeable, so you can have a group of people, you can have an MDiv guy sitting there, or a woman sitting there who has an MDiv, and you can have a former addict who is sober for three weeks, and they both get something out of it, and they both leave and go do something, because Jesus said, this is the next step. No one's sitting there thinking, well, you know, I'm the expert, and you've got a lot to learn. <laughs> That's not kingdom. This is not kingdom, right? All right. Yeah, I am a little preachy about this. Um, so let's, let's just go through the template real quick and, and kind of some of the things we've discovered. Um, how are we doing on time? Oh, I'm going to go. Oh, no, we're good. We have till 11.15, correct? Great. Have time for questions. Um, so we begin with connections. What's something you're celebrating? People say, "Well, you guys, do you guys do worship in your <laughs> gatherings?" Uh, yes. What are you celebrating? What are you thankful for? That is worship. That is worship. Is it singing? That sort of thing. Occasionally, we'll do that. That's another conversation about our other rhythms, but. Uh, just for this tool, it's powerful. It, it really does have you becoming a fully functioning church if you do these rhythms that are in the DBS. Uh, what's something good or is about to happen? We celebrate those, write them up. on. Usually you have a whiteboard, we'll write them all down. And then what is something or a situation that is causing you stress? This can be chains. I've, we have a Presbyterian in our midst who likes to ask roses and thorns. And uh, I love that. Um, and so anyway, you can tailor it to the passage. You know, we'll be around the holidays and say, what's a favorite memory? What's something you're thankful for in the past? What's challenging about the holidays for you? You know, this is so adaptable. We usually do a fast facts. Uh, this is one of the things that we've added. I don't know if I've seen any other models that do this, not trying to claim uniqueness. We found context and passages often could miss a reading. Uh, if you're going through the, the first chapter in the genealogy of Matthew, there's some really important stuff to know about how way weird that was, that women are mentioned and harlots and why Matthew is even on the, <laughs> the list being a tax collector. I mean, it's just... There's some stuff you miss if you don't share it. Um, there are uh, the woman at the well. Why is it a big deal that Jesus is in Samaria, right? Talking to a woman and knowing that Jews would usually avoid, they'd walk way around it so they didn't have to go through Samaria, right? And so context is really important. Occasionally, uh, if there is an important Greek word, we've created those for our uh, microchurches, uh, we're going through Matthew now. I have one of our team members is writing Mark. Uh, we'll keep expanding that as we go. I think the other part, reason for this is there are, we, we, a lot of people say, what about the Old Testament? Do you guys talk about the Old Testament? Does it work as well? And for us, we kind of do the flashback thing. You know, it's referring here, an Old Testament passage. Let's go back and look at it. Uh, Matthew was a mumser. That means you have to go to Exodus and find out people who weren't allowed in the temple, Right? It's kind of, kind of cool to know that there were those who were considered to be out and beyond hope, and a tax collector was one of those, uh, a prostitute might have been one of those, who were not allowed access to the kingdom or, or to the temple. And so 
textual, historical, cultural, uh, customs, that sort of thing. Ideally, no more than three minutes. Uh, I make sure I'm not the one reading it. In fact, whoever's leading the discussion that day, they don't read it. So no one appears to be the expert. Just reading it, right? Don't know anything about it. And that is a high value, right? We really work hard uh, so that no one feels as though they're, they've shown up at a book club and they didn't read the book. And we do that a lot to people. It's why they stay away because I just I don't know enough, right? So we have, we have some rules. I don't think I put my rules in here. Oh, no, they are in here. That's right. Um, so we read it. First reading after that, usually a one translation. We do make sure that, that the first and second readings are, uh, if it's a man the first time, it's a woman the second time, and vice versa. Because if you're a woman, you hear differently. We've just been studied. Uh, when you hear it from a man or when you hear it from a woman. There might be some baggage there. Um, if you have, if you've been a woman who's, who, f for you, men are dangerous. It's kind of nice to hear a woman reading uh, the passage. It's, it's disarming. Um, <laughs> we recently, then we, oh, then we do a summary. Sometimes it's a fill in the blank. We create these again for our leaders so they don't, they don't have to make it up. But somebody summarizing your own words or just. You read a passage and fill in the blank, fill in the blank. And then Jesus said two things, you know, whatever. So that's helpful. It's just a way to chew on it a little bit. Don't skip that step when you're doing this with anyone. It's very powerful. We used the chosen, some chosen scenes for our second readings recently. Again, it's a big experiment, but it was powerful. There's this amazing scene in, in season three when Jesus sends his disciples. I mean, it's hilarious how, I mean, and, and I think they're geniuses. They bring kind of other things from the other Gospels to fill in. We do tell people, look, this is, there's some things that they're, they're adding to. We think they're consistent, but don't read too much into it. If it bothers you, that's okay. You know, defer to the Scripture, you know. So we're, we're, that's very important to us. We read these reminders every week without fail. This is partly to protect the culture. Sometimes we have to stop and read them again <laughs> in the middle of a meeting. Uh, speaking sentences, not paragraphs. We want to hear from everyone. It's an easy way of saying don't overtalk, right? Uh, try to stick with commenting on the passage. No sermons, right? Back to sentences, not paragraphs. That's for me a lot of times, by the way. This is harder for me probably than most of the people in our room. I've had to learn restraint. It's really been hard. You know, I like to talk. I like to teach. And uh, I've been amazed. There have been times, let me say a, a point about this. There have been times I've wanted someone, something to be said. And I'm thinking, ah, no one covered that. We, you know, we didn't see that in the passage. No one covered that. And all of a sudden... Someone says it because I waited, and they say it better and in the words of the people who are gathered. And it's more spirit-inspired than my intellectual understanding, right? We could just close it in prayer there, right? That's, that is a powerful thing to realize that God is better at this than we are. And we often lift more than he's asked us to lift.
Try to hear what God is saying for you and to you. Right? That's important. Um, not for someone else. I wish someone was here. Right? And then finally, resist fixing others. Trust God to speak and help them directly from His Word. Again, teaching people how to hear the voice of Jesus. And, and <clears throat> again, I have a theology for this. I think people who are nowhere near deciding whether Jesus is going to be Lord are hearing from God, right? I think the disciples are a really good example. I'm not sure they even got it until Pentecost and later, later right? Their theology was still like, what about that Rome thing? Are we, are we going to get an army? And the angel says, go back to Jerusalem. You just they didn't have it figured out yet. Not not dumping on them. I mean, my goodness, this is this is way opposite of what they had been taught would happen when Messiah came. But they heard and they were learning. They were students. Then we ask the four questions. We use a dry erase board. We write down one side. What does it say about God, Jesus, and the kingdom? We've added that. We found that that's a principle that's really important to teach. This idea that it's the gospel is all about the kingdom of God has come near. Change the way you think. Repent. Change the way you think. The kingdom of God has come near. Anything in the kingdom, anything that enters the kingdom begins to get fixed, mended, healed, delivered, right? Um, we try to encourage people to use he is statements. The kingdom is. In the kingdom, this happens. What does this teach us about you, us, humanity? Begin statements with I am. We are. Humanity is, right? By the way, if we went back to the story, um, as I said, it's, it's, uh, the battle was that Satan wanted us to convince, that, convince us that we couldn't trust God. right? And to me, discipleship is all about figuring out what lies we've come to believe, and having them confronted with the kingdom and the truth of the scriptures and replacing those lies with truth. That's, that's discipleship to me. That's how we grow. And one of the two most important areas of lies, who is God, right? What is his nature? What is his character? What does he ask of us? And what does he say about us? What is my identity? Two biggest areas where the enemy has lied to us. Really, it's his only weapon. That's it. Deception. As long as he can keep us in a lie, every idol that we have in our life, there's a belief or a lie that says, you know, I think that can give me something that God can't, right? That's discipleship. In any context, doesn't matter. All right. We read down the list. We pray through it. God, we thank you that you're the creator. God, we thank you, thank you that you're merciful. And everyone does it. We all agree. Everyone in the group, just agree with us. Or, or insert something. Say something. Let's praise God for who He is. God, thank You that, that You've created us for a relationship. A lot of times it's, Lord, we repent because we're weak and unbelieving. Forgive us when we don't trust You. Just go down the two sides, two columns. Then we pause and we invite the Holy Spirit to speak to each of us. Each person is listening for themselves. What is something, based on what we've talked about, that God is calling you to do in the coming week? One thing. 
and we've added this because we, we, this is another part of our, uh, the way we disciple or a practice of Jesus, a spiritual discipline that you can lean into in the coming week. And again, that's another conversation about how we do our discipleship in smaller groups, men's and women's groups. Well, we really practice those rhythms uh, in smaller doses. Um, we pause. Okay. Begin to write down. A lot of times we'll say it's an all skate. <laughs> Everyone. Yeah. Everyone. Something. And, and somebody said, I don't really have anything. Did you see anything up there that someone else has heard? You think I, I think I could do that this week awesome or a practice of Jesus that I could do um, we pray over those things and then we ask the question who is someone who would benefit from what you're doing we've added one recently that says when you look at the board of what Sally said she was going to do or Jim said he would do well will you think of ways you could encourage them this week or check in with them or help them with that sometimes so so it's not just there's doing it alone, so it builds community. So this is all full-on discipleship in my view. And the gap between our understanding and knowledge uh, and our obedience is not getting really wide, right? That's so important. All right. I'm getting close. We are, yeah, I want to allow some time. Let's let's play. Do I play the video or do I tell the Noah story? All right. Oh yeah, yeah. So story, and then and then we'll take some questions. Um, this video, if you could look it up, pretty much tells you everything about why this is so powerful. But I'll tell a story. The first time we moved in our house is the first day. Uh, it's, again, it's a pretty tough neighborhood. A neighbor, Noah, I went over to introduce myself. He was sitting out on his back porch, got to talking, and, and I found pretty quickly that he had been homeless for quite a few years, was an addict, uh, had been abused uh, horrifically. The stories are, are just severe. Dropped on his head when he was two years old from the second uh, floor of a mall because uh, his, his mom wanted to kill him and she was mentally ill and um, and so we're talking and he said you know uh, what do you do for a living and I said well you know I'm a pastor and he said oh brother he said we'll get along fine just don't talk about Jesus to me I said no I'll try you know, I'm not very good at that <laughs> but I'll try I'll try so we end up having our home he developed a passion for my maple syrup lattes. He would often knock on the back door of our, where our kitchen is and, and just be expecting that I'd be there to fake. This is during COVID, so, uh, you know, and we usually were there during COVID. <laughs> and he'd just come in, he'd sit at our counter and kind of catch up on his day. I'd try not to talk about Jesus, right? And we just continued to get to know him continue he would mow my yard and uh that was our budget as a micro church is pay Noah to mow the yard right I mean it was it's a pretty simple financial model but <laughs> anyway um during COVID he'd been estranged from his parents his his dad and his stepmom and got word from he has one praying aunt who goes to crossroads in Cincinnati which is a large large church and she has followed him throughout his journey and just said you know I, 
I, I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm keep, she would keep tabs on him. And when she discovered that he had moved into uh, next door to us and that he had been talking, you know, she just prayed all the more. And um, both his dad and his stepmom became severely ill with COVID. They were in the hospital on respirators. The mom ended up recovering, but we got word that the, that the dad was likely not going to make it. He asked for Noah to come. I got a call from his aunt and said he's at the hospital. So we got Noah to the hospital. And um, on the way back after his dad had died, and, and it, was, it was very, I mean, it was a God thing that he got, he was there. His dad kind of moved and opened his eyes. He couldn't speak. Um, and so he got to see his dad before he died. So the way home, he is utterly broken, of course. And he says, I need you to pray for me. I'm ready to talk about Jesus. I'm ready, ready for you to pray for me, right? He was, the only experience he'd had with Christianity was in a Catholic school where he'd always say, they just force stuff down our throats, right? And uh, again, I, I'm sure people have had great experiences. I know with the Catholic Church, that's not against them, but it was not a good experience, right? And so, um, so he asked us to pray. And uh, then he starts saying, so, so you, you think it'd be okay if I came to your, your microchurch? And I said, well, yeah, we'd love to have you. And he said, but I'm, I'm a little nervous because, like, what do you guys do? And so we went to McDonald's. We read John 3, I think, I don't know, probably verses 10 through the end of the chapter, you know, which is, the, of course, 316 is in For God So Loved the World. And I said, so we asked these questions. And I had a little four-by-six note card that you see there. I don't know. Can everyone read that, though? Because I do have it all all written out. Okay. I have it on a slide just that makes it easier. But Okay. Oh, you had it up. All right. That's good. I said, okay, no. We asked, what does this say about God? He said, God is generous. No church, right? He's forgiving. He's loving. He's understanding. He wishes that no one would perish. He doesn't want to punish. That's not his first choice. Jesus is God's son, right? Now there's a confession that will change your life. He's full of light, right? And now the first thing he said, boy, this is dangerous for me to say it here. You got to know he is. He said, what does it say about man? We're effed up. Sorry. (laughs) That was, and then he went, I'm so sorry, pastor. I said, you know, Pretty close, Noah. That's pretty close. How about we write sinful? Uh, Actually, I think he gave me that word. All of these are his words. Evil is everywhere. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, We should be born again. I don't know. Does he have any reference for that? We should be born again. Uh, We can be saved. We're loved. And this one, I can't remember where he got this in this passage. Oh, yeah. They, they prefer the darkness, right? We hide in fear. That's for him. So then I say, okay, we're just going to pray. We're going to hear from God. What's one thing you can do in the coming week? Reach out. Oh, forgive my stepmom for all the abuse. There had been tremendous abuse during those years. So that kind of explains it. Like this is, I didn't do anything. I fixed maple lattes. I didn't talk about Jesus, not much, and just kept being hospitable. I'm praying and fasting, letting him mow my lawn, 
and paying him for it. So um, that's all I have. So I think we've got a little bit of time for questions. Again, woefully inadequate in 40 minutes. Yes? So you're doing this, and of course Satan's going to send along his enemies. There are going to be people from the occult and so on. They're going to want to jump in. How do you address that? Yeah. I'm a seminary grad. I have a certain perspective. Right. And then, then I have to get to a certain place to allow... But then there's going to be people that are going to get in there. Right. How do you I, yeah. I struggle with that? How this is a good question. That? Like when people say really crazy stuff or yes. even stuff that's just plain wrong. So yes. we do coach and train around the idea that there are a few things that we do a timeout on. God's nature and character and what he says about us. <laughs> what does it say about God? What does it say? If it is blatantly wrong, I'll, and I think it's only happened maybe twice, maybe really only yes. once. Yeah. <laughs> Someone walked in and said, and I, they were in a mood, you know, well, and I don't remember how it was. Somebody asked if we, if we ever do the Discovery Bible on Old Testament passages. I think that was what brought it up. And uh, we said, yeah, well, we, we do. We do these flashbacks right now because we really want you to learn the story of Jesus. And in our, in our uh, apprenticeship groups, we'll cover... Uh, how to engage with scripture, Old Testament, Bible project. We'll do a lot of that stuff because we want people practicing during the week, right? Uh, their own spiritual disciplines and corporate disciplines. That's a long, to longer topic. But uh, so she said, well, if, if we'd been around back then, God would smite us all. Okay. And again, this is skills of how to lead a group, right? And we do want to coach around that simply say, well, tell me more about that. So let me see. Now, we're still here, and God's still here, and he hasn't changed. Why are we still here? Long silence. So, well, I just think he would. Oh, I understand, but he hasn't yet. Why, why hasn't he, right? And eventually, someone else answered it. That's the other thing. I don't want to be the one to answer this. I'd like somebody in the group to. They said, well, I think he's still giving us a chance. Great. Awesome, right? that misrepresented his nature and character as seen through Jesus. Uh, when people say stuff, we, we'll, you know, and it's kind of out there, I'll say, Can, where do you see that in the passage as a phrase we'll use? Or kind of unpack that. That's way whacked. We don't say that out loud. <laughs> but, I, you know, I don't really know how to respond to that. Um, kind of unpack it. And, you know, sometimes I'll just write it. Because, you know, what we're asking at the end is, do you know the right things about God? We're not asking that question. We're asking, how can you become more like Jesus and do what he said? Because at the end, it's going to come out in the wash because he's probably not going to go tell you to murder or rob because it's obedience-based discipleship. Now, again, in fairness, I am contrasting this for years of hearing amazing sermons that were right, and I was utterly untransformed. I, the cup was dirty on the inside. And so we're asking a little bit different questions because I think discipleship is apprenticeship. It's caught. The other thing is that we do this in community, and that is a tough place for the enemy to exist for very long. I mean, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to people, and like when something is said, I'll, I'll, I want to correct it, and 
that's why I said, but, but have you thought of this? Now, we're, what they're really saying is, I don't agree with that at all. I, I think it's this, but they're not saying it that way because we've created an atmosphere and environment. We baptized uh, five people from a sober living home a while back. One of the young ladies showed up with potions to put in the water for herself. She, she had prayed to receive, confess Christ because my lovely wife, you know, just kind of smiled. Yeah, I don't think we're going to do that. <laughs> and then just began to continue to walk with her and grow with her and, and do life together uh, because the way you live this stuff is our greatest, our, it really is uh, our greatest doctrine. It's, it's, uh, so I hope that that's, it's a short answer, but there are tips, there are all kinds of tips and sayings that we train around and coach around. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah. So, no, it is a great question, and um, I'll give the most honest answer I know is generally you're going to have to be bivocational. And so I'm a college professor at Miami University in Oxford. I teach French horn. That actually you can be a professor of French horn, and uh, and that helps pay the bills. Tamara teaches uh, privately. I think we're trying to work. I think you, you probably have to do what some. So Casey Underground has been a microchurch hub multiplying network and they live like missionaries so they have support from outside uh, that sort of thing um, I would say this it's easier to do this model as a as a bivocational pastor because I, I have you know however many microchurches I have I probably have three pastors there who can do pastoral care that's the first phone call uh, there I can I can kind of glue into my Team. So our rhythms are, and you, you know, part of the reason I gave this, the, wanted to do this talk though, this this works in a traditional church, right? This is about making disciples. Now I would say if you're in a traditional church and you have people that get excited about actually reaching their neighbors, not just gathering other Christians for a Bible study, you need to free up their. So you need to teach them how to subtract. You might need to tell them it's okay that you're not as involved in our Sunday morning thing. Because you need some margin. We were lay people for years, and I would often think if I did everything I was asked to do, like I would not Sabbath. I'm not sure I would really train up my kids in the way of Jesus. I mean, the the comp the church actually can create more busyness at times. I am pro all churches. So our daughter and son-in-law are in Kansas City. They're doing a hybrid, so they have Sunday services, but they're really pared down. Kids above the age of seven are in the main service. Uh, they don't teach 75-minute sermons, right? Uh, their prep time is less, but they are a microchurch model within a Sunday gathering. It is more equipping. It's not for people from outside the church, but it's equipping for those people. And it's a place, too, for people who are interested to enter a safe place and be somewhat anonymous. So that's a long conversation, but uh, this is really about making disciples. Uh, the key is that as a lay person, I'm not sure I always felt empowered to do it. I think the other one is you got to move the front door of the kingdom into neighborhoods, yes. right? No matter what model you are right now, probably the first invitation is going to be to somebody's back patio, 
not to a service. There's so many people who said, I'm never doing that. Uh, now, eventually, yeah, that's great. But how about disciple them for a while before you invite them into anything going on at our, at our building? Any other questions? Good stuff. Yeah. Good. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So, great, great question. And I'm trying to figure out, can I answer that in a short period of time? It's partly rhythms. We require once-a-month coaching uh, with each of our microchurch leaders. We always coach around uh, emotionally spiritual, I'm sorry, emotionally healthy spirituality. So some of Pete Scazzaro's stuff. So we want to know that you're healthy because we know that healthy leaders, it's not about skills most of the time. It's usually about your character and your walk with Jesus. So we start there. We ask that. How's your walk going? How's your abiding time? We have eight health indicators. So we, we just want to know you're the. if you reproduce you, it's going to be a good thing, right? And you can. there are all kinds of... So I, I have done uh, some life coaching training around that. And so that's part of it. So that level, uh, we do corporate worship for the whole community once a month as well. We do leadership nights where we tell stories. There is some equipping. For the most part, it's what are you celebrating? What's, what's God doing in your community? Um, but, you know, also we're not far enough along to where we're seeing things maybe potentially go off the rails. <laughs> I have a feeling they will. I've read the New Testament, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah, we haven't gotten there yet, but uh, but you know it's interesting. It is like you 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 you're so desperate to have people in your church plant. There's like you whoever comes along, you say, oh yeah, go do that. We we have said, yeah, I don't I don't think you're ready yet. You got to be willing to say you're not. I just sense you're not ready yet, and and I won't say it that way. But here's some things I'd I'd love to see. You grow in, and then you ask for permission to keep coming back and asking questions about it. And I mean, it, it comes down really to leadership. The highest level you can make, highest. There is no other level than a, being a microchurch leader in our organization. Uh, if anything, I'm just I'm a coach that comes alongside, and we do decentralize. Like, not every microchurch needs to look the same. We'd like you to use a discovery Bible tool, or we have some other things we can do in our gatherings as well. But yeah, thank you all so much. I think we've hit our time. Am I correct?